Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. One of the constants that exists within cultures all around the world is the concept of there being a higher power. Whether you're talking about Christianity, Islam, Judaism or countless other religions, the one thing they all have in common is the belief that there is some celestial being that is both greater than man and very much in charge. As a result, if we look to history, it's common for people to turn their eyes to the heavens and ask their particular gods for both spiritual guidance as well as some very earthly help. Whether it's praying to ensure a productive harvest or a successful hunt, or for the rains to fall, or to stop falling, or for any of a million other reasons, people have traditionally looked to their gods and asked them to grant them with some sort of good fortune. But there are some religions that believe that prayer is a two-way street, and that sometimes the gods demand something in return before giving the people what they wanted. And in some cases, what the gods demand is something altogether dark and terrible. Sometimes, the gods demand a sacrifice. I'm Nate Hale, coming to you live from my mystical podcasting temple, and this is The Conspirators. The people of Mexico have a proud and rich heritage that can be traced at least as far back as the mighty Aztec Empire. For about 200 years, from about 1325 to 1521, the Aztec Empire reigned supreme throughout Mesoamerica. The group we think of today as the Aztecs were actually formed from the combination of a trio of smaller tribes, the Mexica, the Tecoca, and the Tepaneca, who came together to form one massive and powerful empire. By the early 16th century, the Aztecs would come to rule over around 500 small states throughout early Mexico. This included about 5 or 6 million people who came under Aztec rule, either by conquest or by commerce. As well as gaining a reputation as fierce warriors, the Aztecs were talented architects, artisans, and astronomers who created a complex calendar system based on the stars. They also came up with a complex agriculture system in which they, among other things, were responsible for bringing us both chocolate and popcorn. So you have them to thank the next time you hit the concession stand at the movies. But the Aztec Empire came to a crashing halt in the 16th century, when the Spanish conquistadors landed and began a military campaign that changed the face of Mexico forever. Within a short span of years, the Aztec Empire fell under Spanish rule, and tens of thousands of Aztecs died as a result. 
1519, Hernán Cortés led the Spanish expeditionary force that went on to conquer the Aztec capital in what we know today as Mexico City. In 1520, a Spanish-led supply convoy comprised of about 550 people who had come over in a second expedition from Cuba were headed toward the Aztec capital when they were captured by a tribe of Aztec allies called the Tejocanos. The Tejocanos held the members of the caravan prisoner for six months in a series of doorless cells where, despite the prisoners' misgivings, they were surprisingly well-fed and cared for. But this wasn't done out of the goodness of their captors' hearts. Rather, it was done for a more practical purpose. You see, the Indians were fattening the prisoners up for what was to come. One by one, the Indians took the men and women from their cells. Then they sacrificed them to their gods and ate them. Today, archaeologists at a site east of Mexico City continue to dig up hundreds of human and animal bones with cut marks indicating they were all killed by ritual sacrifice. In particular, the skeletons of the captured conquistadors showed signs that their bodies were literally torn apart. And cut marks show the methods in which the Indians stripped the flesh from their bones before eating them. Cortes sent many stories back to Spain of the so-called savages he encountered in the New World, some of which he no doubt exaggerated as a way of justifying the wholesale slaughter of the indigenous people he committed in the name of the Spanish crown. But even though Cortes may have stretched the truth to a degree about Aztec human sacrifice, there are plenty of historical records that still exist that support his claims. Numerous pre-Hispanic codices have survived that show pictorials of human sacrifices to the Aztec gods. Likewise, we have several written interviews between Spanish priests and indigenous Aztecs detailing the gruesome rituals that took place. Now keep in mind, human sacrifice isn't a uniquely Aztec concept. You can find examples of human sacrifice in religions all over the world. In Africa, ancient Rome, Greece, China, Judea, the list goes on and on. But for the purposes of this podcast, we're going to limit ourselves to just the Mexican traditions of human sacrifice. We don't know who came up with the concept of human sacrifice in Mesoamerica, but before the Aztecs tried it, there was a previous tribe called the Toltecs, who performed ritual sacrifices from about 900 to 1200 AD. The Aztecs' particular theology justified human sacrifice because they believed humans had two selves, an outer shell and a divine spark planted there by their deities at conception. But in order to keep those deities going, they occasionally needed to release that divine spark back into the ether by separating it from the physical shell. Thus the Aztecs came to believe that ritual sacrifice was just another part of the circle of life, akuna matata and all that fun stuff. Human sacrifice didn't actually become part of the Aztec way of life until about halfway through their existence. About a hundred years before the fall of the Aztec Empire, the empire went through an enormous change when the emperor's son, Teocalel, decided the, the Aztec god of war, Utztolopochtli, would become their numero uno god. After that, the Aztec society became centered around war and all the murder and mayhem that came with it. In fact, the Aztecs did so much conquering of neighboring tribes, there actually came a point where they were running out of enemies to go to war with. So they actually began staging battles with the neighboring friendly city-state of Tiaxcala, 
for the express purpose of capturing phony prisoners from a fake war to take part in some very real human sacrifice. Blood was a key component in Aztec sacrifice since it was believed that blood was one of the carriers of the divine spark. As a result, the Aztecs became a nation of bloodletters, full of people skilled in the art of letting blood flow from the lips, the ears, the thighs, even the tongue and genitals. But even though ostensibly human sacrifice was performed in order to charge their gods back up, a secondary reason for sacrifice was for the Aztec rulers to maintain power. In most cases, the victims of human sacrifice would either be chosen from the lower classes or from prisoners captured in battle. And since sacrifice was often a public spectacle, it kept the people in line and made them think twice before attempting a revolt. Think of it like an ancient version of the Hunger Games. In fact, one of the most popular death rituals was a real game. Only in this game, the losers paid the ultimate price. Although different tribes had different names for this game, most of them translate more or less to the ball game. The Olmecs were the first people known to have played the ball game back around 1500 BC. Although the exact rules of the game aren't known, both the Mayans and Aztecs picked up on it from the Olmecs and added their own particular spins. It's believed that the game was played like a cross between volleyball and basketball, except way more violent. It was played with a heavy rubber ball that weighed about 10 pounds, although some balls have been discovered by archaeologists that were much heavier and contain a leaded core. Descriptions by Spaniards who witnessed the game, or had it described to them by the natives, mentioned the numerous severe injuries that occurred among the players. The players did so nearly completely naked, and broken bones and major lacerations were common. In the Aztec version of the ballgame, you really didn't want to end up on the losing team, because the losers were routinely decapitated. Some stories even say that the winners would sometimes continue playing the game with the losers' heads instead of the ball. Keep in mind, not everyone who ended up on the losing end of the sacrificial knife got that way under duress. There were a surprising number of volunteers to be sacrificed, since it was commonly believed that their sacrifice would be rewarded in the afterlife. During the Aztec month of Toxcatl, one man was chosen because of his good looks and long straight hair. For the year that followed, this man would be treated like a god. They painted his skin and adorned him with golden jewelry. He was given four beautiful wives to do with as he wanted, and a ceremonial flute that he carried with him throughout town as everyone adored him, at least for one year. Then, after the year had passed, the man would walk up the steps of the Great Pyramid, breaking the flute in two along the way. And as the cheering crowd watched, the priest would lead him to the stone altar, where the man would lie down, and then the priest would rip his heart from his chest. Afterwards, the priest would dash the sacrificial victim's heart against the stone altar, then rolled the victim's lifeless body down the pyramid steps. Later, the victim's skull would be added to the rack where all the sacrificial skulls were kept, and the man's flesh would be cooked and served to the Aztec nobleman. Pulling up to Mickey D's just for drinks? Oh yeah, that's me. Nothing extra, just perfection and a straw. Coming in hot for the coldest cups on the block. Because there are drinks. Then there are drinks from McDonald's. 
Mix things up with any size lemonade or sweet tea for $1.49. Perfect with our classic fries. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Before we move on, I wanted to take a moment to tell you about another show you might like. If you enjoy what I'm doing here on The Conspirators, then I also recommend you check out a show from the Parcast Network. If, like me, you're always searching for what really happened, then you'll like their new podcast, Conspiracy Theories. The hosts of Conspiracy Theories tell the complicated stories behind the world's most controversial events and possible cover-ups. Because the truth isn't always the best story, and the official story isn't always the truth. Right now you can hear episodes about the death of Princess Diana and Area 51. And coming up, they're going to have episodes about topics like the Illuminati, chemtrails, and many more. Visit Apple Podcasts, TuneIn, Spotify, Google Play, or wherever you listen to podcasts and search for Conspiracy Theories. Again, that's C-O-N-S-P-I-R-A-C-Y-T-H-E-O-R-I-E-S. Or visit parcast.com slash conspiracy to start listening now. And now, back to my show. The Aztec practice of human sacrifice ended as quickly as their empire did once the Spanish conquered Mexico. But the practice of human sacrifice didn't end with the Aztecs. Religions come and religions go, but certain rituals, like human sacrifice, continued on in Mexico all the way into the modern era. In 1962, a pair of brothers named Cayetano and Santos Hernandez showed up in the tiny Mexican village of Yerba Buena. They were con men and two-bit criminals, and it didn't take much effort for the brothers to convince many of the 50,000 or so residents of Yerba Buena that they were prophets and high priests of some powerful ancient Incan gods. This despite the fact that the Incas didn't even come from Mexico. But the poor and mostly illiterate residents didn't know that. The Hernandez brothers promised the villagers that they'd all be rewarded with large amounts of gold and jewels in return for their worship. Soon the demand for worship turned into the demand for tribute and for sexual favors from many of the village's women. Before long, the Hernandez brothers had turned the village of Yerba Buena into their very own sex cult, complete with nightly drug-fueled orgies in the caves near town. But the problem with being a cult leader is you have to constantly string your followers along or else they tend to become restless and begin to look elsewhere for guidance. In the case of the people of Yerba Buena, the villagers were becoming more and more concerned when all the vast riches the two brothers promised them failed to materialize. The Hernandez brothers headed to Monterey looking for some prostitutes they could hire to help keep their scam going. It was there that they met a prostitute named Magdalena Solis, who agreed to take center stage in their charade. They put on a show inside the caves during one of their sex magic rituals, And that's when Magdalena appeared before their followers, stepping through the veil of a cloud of smoke and declaring that she was the reincarnation of an ancient Incan goddess. Although the Hernandez brothers didn't know it at the time, they had just ceded control of their merry little cult to Magdalena. When a couple of villagers announced publicly that they had grown tired of all the ritual sexual abuse and that they were leaving, Magdalena stepped forward and ordered that the pair receive the ultimate punishment death. 
The two rebels were lynched by the remaining members of the cult. From there, Magdalena began asserting her authority in increasingly vicious ways. She quickly grew tired of the constant orgies and instead demanded human sacrifices be performed in her honor. Anyone who dared challenge her authority were offered up to her as a sacrifice. All the remaining members of the cult would seize the interloper and beat, maim, cut, or burn them to death. Bloodletting became a key component of Magdalena Solis's sacrificial rituals. Human blood was often mixed with chicken blood, and the cup would then be passed around from Magdalena Solis to her high priests, who included the Hernandez brothers and Magdalena's own brother, Elazar Solis, who, incidentally, had turned her out as a prostitute as a child. Solis told her followers that the blood granted her special powers and helped her to stay young forever. The murders continued over a period of six weeks in 1963. By the time the final sacrifices took place, they were vivisecting the hearts of the victims while they were still alive. Then in May 1963, a 14-year-old boy from the village named Sebastian Guerrero wandered too close to the caves and witnessed firsthand one of the bloody rituals that went on in there. He was so freaked out by what he saw that he ran for 25 kilometers to the town of Villa Gran. There, he found the police station and ran inside babbling to the officers about the vampires he'd seen gorging themselves on human blood. The next morning, one of the officers named Luis Martinez escorted Guerrero back to Yerba Buena in order to investigate his claims. It was the last time anyone saw either of them alive. On May 31st, several police officers and members of the Mexican army went to Yerba Buena and arrested Magdalena and Elazar Solis on a farm in town. A shootout erupted and Santos Hernandez went down in a hail of police bullets. His brother Cayetano was assassinated by one of his own followers named Jesus Robio, who was upset that he hadn't been allowed into the cult's inner circle. Later on, police would discover the bodies of Sebastian Guerrero and Luis Martinez buried in a shallow grave nearby. Both of them had their hearts cut out. Soon after, they found the dismembered bodies of six more victims near the caves. Police were only able to directly connect the deaths of Guerrero and Martinez to Magdalena and her brother because all the other cult members refused to testify against them. Many members of the cult died in the shootout with police. Those who were arrested would get a 30-year prison sentence for the six murder victims. Magdalena and Elazar were both given 50 years in prison for the two murders they could be connected to. The story of the High Priestess of Blood wasn't the last human sacrifice story to come out of Mexico. In more recent years, another religion called Palo Mayombe has found its way to Mexico. Palo Mayombe is a religion that came over across the ocean with the Bantu-speaking people during the Spanish slave trade. From there, the religion crossed over into the Caribbean and Cuba, where it picked up bits of African voodoo, Catholicism, and Spanish Santeria. And whereas most practitioners of Palo Mayombe will tell you the religion is a purely peaceful one, Sacrifice is a component of many Palo rituals, and in the case of the darkest and most powerful black magic rituals, human sacrifice is called for. In 1989, a 21-year-old college student named Mark Kilroy headed south of the border for spring break. Kilroy was pre-med at the University of Texas. In March of that year, he and three friends crossed the bridge on foot from Brownsville, Texas to the Mexican border town of Matamoros. 
Back then, Matamoros was a major spring break hangout. And for the first few days, Kilroy and his friends hung out on the beach, partying, drinking, and flirting with girls. But on the morning of March 14th, Kilroy and his buddies decided they'd had enough and headed back home. But the streets were packed with people, and as the trio pushed their way through the crowds, Mark Kilroy became separated from his friends and they lost sight of him. Mark's buddies waited for him at the border, only Mark never showed up. By the following morning, Kilroy's friends contacted the police and told them Mark was missing. But the police had nothing to go on, and no clues as to what had happened to Mark Kilroy. At least not until April 1st when Serafin Hernandez-Garcia, a small-time drug dealer known as Little Serafin, busted through a drug checkpoint and got caught. He led police to a place called Rancho Santa Elena, a broken-down collection of decrepit shacks owned by his drug lord uncle. At the time, the police had no idea that the man in their custody had anything to do with Mark Kilroy's disappearance. They thought they were just on their way to making a major drug bust. But when one of the workers mentioned he had seen a young gringo tied up in the back of a truck, the police realized they might have a lead in Mark Kilroy's disappearance. It was then that Little Seraphin calmly admitted that he had helped kidnap Mark Kilroy and that the young man had been killed. When asked why they had kidnapped the young student, Little Seraphin told the police that they did it for protection. Little Seraphin said that he and members of the drug gang were practitioners of Palo Mayombe, and that Mark Kilroy had been sacrificed as a part of a black magic ritual that would grant them protection from evil spirits. After a lengthy interrogation, Seraphin described in detail how he and some other gang members lured the very drunk Mark Kilroy into their truck. Throughout the night that followed, they repeatedly tortured and sodomized the young man before they finally lopped off the top of his head with a machete and boiled his brains in a pot. Police later found the cauldron they had used for the ritual in a shack full of bloody evidence from other slayings. Not long after they found Kilroy's body in a shallow grave, the top of his head was gone and his heart had been ripped from his chest. The high priest of Seraphim's cult was a man named Adolfo de Jesus Constanzo, also known as El Padrino. Constanzo had grown up in Miami, the son of a woman who herself claimed to be a powerful witch. When Constanzo moved to Mexico City, he set up shop as a practitioner of the dark arts. For a high price, Constanzo claimed to be able to magically protect you from evil spirits through ancient sacrificial rituals. He started by sacrificing animals, but then... When the price was right, he began using more powerful magic that could only be harnessed by using human blood. In the late 1980s, Constanzo met a beautiful young woman named Sarah Aldrete, a physical education student from Texas who also worked sometimes as an aerobics instructor. Aldrete also had many ties to the local drug cartels, as well as her own fascination with black magic and unusual religions. In 1987, the couple saw a movie called The Believers about a murderous Santeria voodoo cult, and that gave them some ideas. Within a year, the pair were snatching people off the streets and torturing them to death. Some of the people they kidnapped, they skinned alive. It's believed that Constanzo and Aldrete may have been involved in as many as 60 kidnappings before they encountered Mark Kilroy. As the investigators began digging up many of the bodies of their victims... Constanzo fled to Mexico City where he holed up in an apartment 
until the following May when police received reports of a crazy man who began throwing money out his window and shooting at people as they attempted to grab the cash. Police got into a gunfight with Constanzo that ended up killing him and a male companion. Afterwards, police were able to arrest and convict five other gang members, each of whom received sentences of up to 30 to 60 years for their involvement in the murders. Although investigators believe that his Pala Mayambai cult may have had 10 to 15 times more members, and that they're still out there somewhere. One last story linked to Pala Mayambai. In 1981, a homeless man named Leroy Carter Jr. was sleeping in San Francisco's Golden Gate Park. The following day, his body was found. Or at least most of it was. Carter's head was missing, and in its place, whomever had killed him had stuffed a severed chicken head into the neck cavity. The police consulted an expert in the occult who pointed the finger at Palomayombe. The expert told police that the killers were in the middle of a black magic ritual and that they could expect the killers to return the head to the scene of the crime in 42 days. Sure enough, exactly 42 days later, Leroy Carter's head was returned to the crime scene. But because the police didn't take the experts seriously, they didn't bother to stake the scene out. No arrests were ever made, and no one knows who killed Leroy Carter Jr. The Conspirators is written and produced by me, Nate Hale, an entirely fictional identity. Thanks so much for listening. I want to give a special shout out to my latest Patreon supporters. Thanks so much to Natalie, Mike, and Rebecca for helping keep the lights on. Your support is so very appreciated. Just a reminder, Patreon supporters gain access to all sorts of rewards, including stickers, thank you notes, t-shirts, magnets, and our Patreon-exclusive mini-episodes. I also wanted to invite you to subscribe and rate us on Apple Podcasts. I read each and every one of your reviews, and I really appreciate all the feedback. Your ratings and reviews helps us out in Apple's rankings. I recently had one review from a listener who said she's currently in a long-distance relationship with her fiancé, and that she and her honey both love listening to the show together, and that it helps make her feel a little closer to him. That's the sort of story that warms my heart. Besides Apple Podcasts, we're also available on Stitcher, the Google Play Store, and your favorite podcast app. Not to mention our website, theconspiratorspodcast.com. If you like our show, then there's another show you might want to check out as well. On Conspiracy Theories, the host tells the complicated stories behind the world's most controversial events and possible cover-ups. Right now, you can hear episodes about the deaths of Princess Diana in Area 51, and coming up, they're going to have episodes about topics like the Illuminati, chemtrails, and many more. Visit Apple Podcasts, TuneIn, Spotify, Google Play, or wherever you listen to podcasts and search for Conspiracy Theories. Or visit podcast.com slash conspiracy to start listening now. Thanks again.